Gentlemen, start your engine. Booster, go. Retro, go. Vital, we're go fly. Guidance, guidance, go. Atomic batteries to power. Surgeon, go fly. Econ, we're go fly. GNC, we're go. Delmu, go. Control, go fly. Procedures, go. Inco, go. FAO, we are go. I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. Network, go. Recovery. Go! Capcom. We're go fly. Time circuit's on. Flux capacitor. Fluxing. Engine running. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Very bad feeling about this. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Launch the point! 21 gigawatts! Engage. Have fun storming the castle! A the show you never knew you were missing. Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker today. Jason Hunt here, sitting across from artist and writer and poet, Rick Stacy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Glad we, to be here. We are talking today about uh, not only your your art, your career as a as a comic book artist, but you've also got a new a new project out now. It's a two CD set. Called yes. talking to myself, talking to, to myself you. to you, talking to myself to you is kind of like eavesdropping, but in kind of a fun way. So, so is this? Let me ask because I've I've listened to some of the tracks. Is this the same? This is not the same thing as the book. Funny you should ask. That's uh, funny you should ask because I'm going to hold this up for our viewers at home. <laughs> this this is the this is the book. Funny you should ask. Right. And the majority of the creative in here translated. Into the CD. Okay. Now this is funny stuff, whimsical stuff, serious stuff, rantings, etc. Um, for those of you who don't know, I published, self-published. I pulled this from a publisher, the Kathy Garver, who is a voice talent and a close friend of mine, and who read on my CD, set me up with in uh, LA, and I pulled it because they wanted to change stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is this is I want the complete creative control down to the fonts. And the pacings and the punctuation of the whole book. So I self-published this, and it's available through me, and it's available at the Crayola store down at Hallmark and, and Naomi's uh, Hallmark and Shawnee, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's all the Hastings, but they just right. filed Chapter 11, so we got a problem and, with that. And for those who may recognize the name, Kathy yes. Garver has a genre connection. Not only was she... Uh, sissy. Yes. In uh, Family Affair. Absolutely. Long time ago. Long time ago. Uh, but she's also the voice of Firestar yes. in the animated Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which yep. was what, 85, yep. 86, Something somewhere like in there? Yeah, yeah late 80s, voices. early 90s. But she's the hardest working lady in Hollywood because she does voice work and she teaches voice and she does tons of movies and commercials and stuff and she pops up all the time. She may be one of, and she's one of my best friends. I went to work out with her in, uh, when I was in L.A. back in 2005, 2006, and we became good friends and co-workers. She was actually an outside sales rep for me on intellectual properties, and I fell into that. And you talk about name-dropping. Kathy yeah. Garver's working with me, and uh, she has an entrepreneurial spirit and a business acumen that's second to nobody. This woman is so sharp. But, uh, yeah, she did those voices, and we talk a bit about – how long ago she's been doing a uh, uh, voice worker on screen. She was in, I'm starting to laugh now. She was the little girl, the little three-year-old girl in the Ten Commandments that looked at Charlton Heston and said, where are we going? And he said, out there, somewhere for 40 days and 40 nights or whatever. So she that was, was her. Yeah, so it was her. Oh, yeah. wow. I yeah. didn't realize that she was in that. Oh, yeah. My goodness. 
Well, okay. So, so the how did the two CDs come about? You you write the book, you self publish the book, and then what? You start, you don't stop writing. The writing keeps coming and coming, and and uh, some people kind of get this, and some people will be, will be will find it laughable. I'm sure, but. You wake up in the morning and you're making coffee and you put a pen to paper because something tells you to write down this. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't have a care to spare. You won't find one anywhere because I don't care. So there, mon frere. And you go into an Al Pacino voice and you think, this this bit of exasperation with some people in my life, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I'll just say it, that have... Uh, um, problems with uh, uh, recreational drugs and alcohol who are just tanking their life and you can't save them and there's all this codependent crap and stuff and you think uh take you know take your crazy and go pedal it someplace else i can't settle it these things right. write themselves and they never ever stop even the silly stuff or the more serious stuff about the tweeners the three girls that are friends yeah. that end up being in a, a home for tossed away tweener girls and how sad that is and what happens all based on life realities that turn into pretty good fiction or poetry or what have you. So anyway, it, I don't want to do another book. And people have asked me, they said, with your voice, my voice that is, um, why don't you read these all? And I thought, I don't want two hours of me. So I brought in Bruce Jones. You know, local Bruce Jones talent, mm -hmm. April Campbell Jones, his wife, Julia Jackson, Tamara Smith, and Kathy Garver, and uh, work with the great people uh, um, over at, um, what's, I have to find You're that. at Chapman Studios. Yeah, Chapman, yes, yeah. I'm looking here through these notes, and I've lost my Chapman Studios, who helped me as I would integrate drama and sound effects and what have you, and create the audios again because i don't know that anybody wants to thumb through another book like this number one number two people have said to yours with your voice do it i brought in more people they also said when are you going to record record your memoirs and i thought i don't know what that means am i a dinosaur on my way out <laughs> because i've had a very uh, um fortunate to have a very very modest comic book career and it's more about the people and the stories in comics now than I, than the fact that I did um, Warlord or Legion of Superheroes, Secret Origin, or whatever, you know, all yeah. that stuff. So it just turned that way. It gave me creative control down to each dot and tittle and sound effect and spacing of, of uh, uh, breath uh, uh, on this thing. So this is where I headed with this. So Now, you talk about your, your comic book career. The, there are a lot of, of artists and writers who kind of uh, who are, who've got their foot, you know, one foot on either side. They're either, you know, they're doing the stuff for DC and Marvel, mm -hmm. which is the corporate stuff, right. and they're doing whatever editorial mandates. Here's what's going on, and then then you see them flip over, and they're working with IDW or Image, and they're doing the creative, you know, the creator controlled stuff. They're they're creator owned stories. Have you? started dabbling in that yep. arena yet? Absolutely, absolutely. What have you been working on? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you this right now. It's a kind of interesting kind of thing. Uh, uh, I'm not looking, because people say, why don't you go back to comics, and why don't you see if you can do Green Lantern? Or what? And I love all these characters, and I don't know that I'm, because I'm a Silver Age baby boomer guy, Yeah. I don't know that I'm a good fit right now for what 
the um, companies may be looking for. You know, it's funny you should say that. It's funny you have should you, ask. Have you, have you looked at Rebirth at all? Have you seen any yes. of the Rebirth stuff? Yeah. What do you think? I like it. I, I like it. I picked it up. I, I was hesitant. And what I've seen so far, I've looked at Superman, the, even this week, as, mm-hmm. even as we speak, kind of. And I flipped through some Batman, but what I'm seeing so far is it's okay. You know, what are you going to do after almost 80 years with these characters right. that make them legit? And I don't know that what I've seen so far, not a lot. Well, I kind of like it. What strikes me is that uh, you know, with Jeff Johns coming back, and basically with Rebirth number one, he basically says, "Yes, we screwed up." Yeah. And you know, there is that acknowledgement there, and it's it's a very meta book. Right. And a lot of the comparisons that I've seen. With the, the the subsequent rebirth work, a lot of people are making those comparisons to the Silver Age. Uh, a lot of people are sitting there saying, "This feels like DC back then." I mean, even you you even look at the new logo that they've done. It it's Which is reminiscent like, was that an 80s logo. Or yeah, something? it's very reminiscent yeah. of the bullet. It's yeah. not the bullet, no. but it. I mean, it's that it's that vibe. Yeah. And it you know, most certainly you, is. Yes. And you talk about you know being being a Silver Age artist. Mm-hmm. You know that's your style. You know, who knows? Maybe this is maybe this is the time when they're looking for that kind of stuff because because DC burned a lot of bridges with New Fifty Two with creative yes. teams. Yeah, and and, and, the, and no pun intended. Quite literally, since they moved out to Burbank, the whole dynamic is different about how you you. Uh, fold in and mainstream as mm-hmm. a writer with DC under Diane Nelson, who's probably fine, don't get me wrong, and, and the new Kedry, or how you fold in and mainstream as an illustrator and how that's working now. So uh, it, it's it's a different playing field, but I, I do get this now about this being kind of a, uh, maybe a tip of the hat to the Silver Age just because it may not have been intended, intended to be, yeah. but it kind of is. So Good. You know, I, I have to wonder if... If Darwin Cook had had li- had, had still been alive, how much work would he have gotten in in the new DC? Because his stuff was not grimdark. No, and and now we're it feels like we're moving past. Finally, mm-hmm. knock on wood, we're mm-hmm. moving past the grimdark. Uh, and and even with the movies now, you know they're they're course correcting and all of that with the all DC right. stuff. All right. People like Darwin Cook. Yep. People like uh, Paul Dini and and Bruce Tim and the, the 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 guys who pretty much were essentially marginalized by New Fifty Two because of the style, exactly, and the tone and exactly. and everything else. I'm wondering how many of those people can be coaxed back. I think George Perez is done, but. You know, some of the others, maybe. I mean, you talk about working with Len Wein. Is, mm-hmm. is he somebody? Because, yeah, you know, I, I always wondered about how Paul Levitz could work as a writer at the company that he used to run. Yeah. And then have all of this going on behind the scenes. Right. Know, we only heard about maybe a tenth of it. Right. You know, who knows what else was going on back Well, you wonder then, who but, ran down the hallway and who'd known Paul Levitz since they were kids and who was a staffer at D.C. Yeah. And slammed down... Um, the Batgirl issue of Frank Miller's Batman and Robin, the one that they had all the uh, the bad words in it, and they put black bars over it, but it Roll, came right, through, okay, right. and they had to pulp it, and said, who's running this ship? Yeah. Because that blew people's minds. And, and you know, I love Paul Evans. He's, he's a great guy, and he's a very talented fellow, but when you put someone like that in a business leadership role when it comes to strategies and tactics and branding the company, you think, 
How would that happen? Nothing yeah. good came from that. If you look back to the dark that you're talking about, and the artists that you made reference to, Darwin Cook, I just saw that there's some DC direct little Darwin Cook figures coming mm -hmm. out. Yeah. I hope his estate gets something for that because he's, he was just phenomenal. Yeah. But if you take him and you, and you compare his work to some of the darker artists during the 52, okay, mm -hmm. Darwin Cook was more dramatic in his storytelling and renderings. He was noir, as some of the other guys were too. Yeah. But he, he wasn't so terribly brutal that he alienated you. He brought you into the stories. Exactly. And the other guys is like, oh, my God, I'm going to set this down and, and, and push it far away from me and go wash my hands ten times. Because it's just, uh, by comparison, just a real icky feeling for comic books. Right. So. Now, your art, you tend to do a little bit more straightforward? or you Are you in the process now where... You want to do more stylized stuff? If you got back into doing comics on a regular basis all the time, mm -hmm. what what would your style be like? My style would be like, what would my style be like? I want to use uh, design elements because I've been a designer in the corporate world and marketing since the 70s. So mm. there are f that's why I really love Darwin Cook, of what he brings in the way of, of design elements to this and, and the flavor of uh, a new frontier that was very new frontier, yeah. very 60s and stuff too. I'd, I'd want to integrate that, but I would venture to say that when I'm doing commissions right now at home for people, um, my influences still seem to be the Neil Adams of the world. I'm not swiping him. Yeah. Like you know, some of the people, like you know, Rich Buckler swipes him all the time. I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. But but that kind of approach, a Kurt Swan approach. I did a, a Superman this week for a, a gentleman, and. It was the black-suited Superman with the long hair flowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's got okay. so. the uh, head of Doomsday, and he's in the fortress and stuff. Right. And that's pretty wild and pretty whimsical, and the, the costume is all ripped, et cetera, et cetera. But it still is influenced. Uh, the face is still Superman's face as influenced by Kurt Swan. I don't swipe Kurt Swan, but that's the influence. Okay. So I would say it'd be a Kurt... A Neil Adams, um, that kind of approach to what we're right. doing. Now, when you when you do commission work like mm -hmm. that, and, and this has always been a question for me because uh, it, and it's foremost in my mind right now because of the Star Trek fan film guidelines that just came out ah. and all of the licensing and the that's question right, and all that. That's right. Yeah. So you know, we've seen over the years the 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 conversation about. You know, cosplayers starting to sell their I photos. Knew you were going to say that. And now That's you've got your commission artists right. and stuff. How does that work with you know you getting paid to draw DC characters? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that is are are you officially licensed? I mean, I don't want to get into operative word is officially. But when this all started so many years ago, yeah, I was uh, I'd either just broken into the business or was about to, and I had Dick Giordano standing over my shoulder and now this was years after i first met him he was my first job interview oh wow ever when i was a kid i left here when i was 17 or 18 uh moved to new york of course i came back learning discipline and humility <laughs> a few months later but but dick who was mustacheless at that point yeah uh was a junior editor at dc this is very much like a scene from mad men because it was very much a 60s motif in uh, Ivy League, New York. Okay. Sure, okay. With yeah. guys just starting to sprout sideburns and Fu Manchus and all this uh, Sergeant Pepper's kind of influx of fashion. But 
he's watching me and he says, that looks good. I thought, okay, you got no problem with me doing this? Because everybody had been doing it. He goes, no. He says, here's what would be the problem. If you would take that and create your own book or your own comic book, you got to have permission. What you're doing for us right now is you're advertising us. Yeah. You make a few bucks, that's fine. We don't care. And don't do anything that would be uh, um, objectionable in part. So we're talking about those characters that, that are uh, – um, so suggestive or you know or, or pornographic that right. is just wrong you just don't do that he's fine marvel's been fine with it everybody's been fine with it and they consider that to be advertising for them and helping them elevate their brand except disney and disney told us all years ago when i was doing Darkwing duck and rescue rangers and stuff mm-hmm. a you don't get your artwork back ever right b and we destroy it and b don't ever draw a disney character at conventions or for friends or for fans or whatever, because we'll sue you. Hmm. So there is that that kind of uh, slippery slope right there. Now, I have no problem doing the, the sketches and the things that I do at conventions because I've done it for 30 years. Right. I think my first con was in 75. But I'm seeing cosplayers now who are marvelous, okay, with what they do. And I know one personally who got a note from D.C. that said, the little wristband you're making with the star don't do that. Mm. The little headbands you're making with the start, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Don't do that. We own that brand, and that's an inference to Wonder Woman or whatever. And this woman, who's brilliant, and, and she's a high mucky muck in the field right now as a talent. Um, she's a published author. I probably shouldn't say too much about her because of the legalities involved. But she got counsel and went back and said, you don't own any leather strap on a wrist yeah. that has a star on it. I don't call my stuff Wonder Woman costume stuff for kids. But you don't own a green domino mask that I make because you think a nine-year-old is going to put it on and play Green Lantern. And you don't own a headband because you've never drawn it the same way twice. You've never trademarked it. So I think it's probably a good idea for you to back off and not make it in the uh, Internet world now. Mm-hmm. Stir such a viral problem that reflects even more poorly on you than your product so now was this in the midst of all of the new 52 because because dc was taking a hit on on new 52 for you know five years now they've been well i'm trying to think when this uh, friend of mine had this occurrence and it was like three, three or four years ago at planet comic con yeah and she was doing these i'll call them generic pieces because nothing had a wonder woman logo on it but generic domino masks right. and generic little cuffs and stuff for, for kids for crying out loud yeah so Anyway, it was crazy. See, I always have wondered about that stuff because, you know, especially in in the wake of the Kirby lawsuit and the Siegel and Schuster right. battles and all of that other stuff going back and forth and, you know, a question of ownership and finally Bill Finger getting credit for, for his finally. work. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it always makes me wonder just how all of that works because way back then – it was all gentlemen's agreement stuff. It was a handshake. You just drew it, and and yep. the company owned it, and and nobody thought about this stuff lasting fifty, seventy, eighty years. Right, right. So. A good point. And it was a handshake or, or uh, an appropriate nudge and wink. In nineteen seventy six, I had merged with a couple of big Kansas City investors and Mucky Mucks to create um, a traveling museum display called the Amazing World of Superman. This is not unlike the preliminary sketch that Neil Adams did many, many years ago called the Amazing World of Superman theme park that, of course, right. never happened. Um, and we went to the, to New York and met with Saul Harrison, who was the president of DC Comics, 
and I spread everything out and I had this prototype that was built. For those listening right now, I'm gesturing with my hands real big out here yep. that was built at the Art Institute with little audio-visual things in places, you know, pointer purchase for Hostess cupcakes and uh, stuff like that, and then T-shirts and stuff, Mego toys. We had a booth for them, so there was an ROI, return on investment plan. Right. And we had a five-year plan because the, the first Superman movie was in casting at that point. Oh, okay. Right. I think at that right. point, Charlton Heston had been rumored to be... Superman, and then it oh, was... Oh, I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah it was Charl Reynolds Charlton and Heston, and I think at one point they were talking to St Stallone and Redford. Yep, and absolutely right. I think Paul Newman even Paul Newman one. was going to be Morgan Edge, and, and Karen Black was going to be Lois Lane. Oh. I know, I know. Paul Newman would have made a great Morgan Edge. I think so. I thought he wow, would have been great casting. Oh, that would have been perfect. Yeah. And that's a whole different story for a different time because I, I, we all heard how Mario Puzo uh, opened the script mm. and how Superman would begin. So hold that and we'll talk about that sometime too. Okay. But I was up there talking to Saul Harrison. And uh, again, this is the corporate side of me, learning so much from guys that had their own marketing and ad agencies here's, here. And we had incorporated, we're doing this on the side. Yeah. And we wanted to start off with $50,000 from DC Comics and 50 from Mego and 50 from ITT Continental Baking. Hostess cupcakes and stuff. Anyway, uh, um, Saul Harrison scratched his head and he brought in one of, of the uh, bean counters and said, I really want to do this. I really want this. This is beautiful. And I'm elated because I'm a kid. Sure. You know? yeah, and any way cool. you get into comics like this. Yeah. You know, I've been in corporate for two years at Sears. And uh, um, he says, what are we making? We're talking about, you know, balance of sale and this and that and projections. And Saul asked this guy, Saul didn't have the business acumen that you would think he would have had to run DC Comics as president, but he did hand cut color on the very first color comic book at DC. It was a production mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. And so I'll ask this guy, I think his name was Murray Alcheter. He says, what, what do we make on a comic? And comics were like 25 cents then. He goes, I don't know. And I had this pregnant pause, and Saul said, "Well, can you find out?" Oh, and the guy said, "Yeah." He came back and he came, he came back shuffling in, and you know, he was put, pull it, picking in his fingernails, and he said, "Saul, I think we make maybe three cents." But but nobody knew is the point. It could have been three cents, and it could have been whatever. Right. But nobody knew. So when it came to any of the leadership in comics at that point, making decisions of a, of a business nature. I didn't have a whole lot of, of uh, uh, find a lot of credibility in them. And I saw that throughout the years back and forth, the exception of Dick Giordano yeah. happening. And going back to the Paul Levitt story, I, I love Paul. He's great. But I'm not sure that I would have been confident that he would have made all the right business decisions. So, Well, and, and it's kind of funny that, that – we we come back to questioning you know the current crop of leadership you know Didio and Jim Lee and and Jeff Johns and yep. and all of that and it's you know, so often you look at it from the outside and you have absolutely no idea what the decision making process is on the inside you know like what exactly. what are they thinking how yep. why how do they come about making all of these decisions right. and you talk about your book you know deciding to self publish it mm -hmm. as opposed to doing something else with it you know that's a business decision, and oh, yeah. that's that's one of those things where you have to you have to crunch all of the numbers and you know, like you were talking about, is, you know, do the math and and figure those things out. Um, would that would that drive a decision to do a creator owned comic for you? If you were if you were decide okay, I'm yeah, going to get back into it, comics and it, I'm going to do something. Well, let know. me just throw this out there because your your point's very well taken. I'll go ahead and share this. 
I want my audio CD to not only be entertaining and enjoyable for people, right. but I want it to also represent me as voice talent because I do different voices all throughout there. So I'm talking to Tom Kane right now and other people too. Mm -hmm. I also want to take some of the properties on there that are appropriate as children's books and stories or just humorous books and stories like Dr. Seuss to hunt that way too. However, there is one in here that in, in my mind is, uh, I mean this appropriately, money. I don't mean literally money, but this, this is it for me. Right. And it is the story of Blind Faith, Blank Page, and Kyoko No Show. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you might really, really like that. Because I had Jacob Eliashar, who's a media guru, contact mm -hmm. me and he said, that scared the hell out of me. And I thought, good. I mean, it's a wonderful tale about these three tween girls. Right. Somebody else likes it, too. I, I gave it to... Um, a dear friend of mine, her name is Paige Blunk, and she is a Harley Quinn, and all the cosplayers in the Midwest here. Oh, sure. Okay. And we're sitting together. She was in Harley makeup, too, at a show. And she's reading it. Here come the tears. Hmm. Honest to God. And, I, and I, we had just put the book away. She said, this hurts too much. Well, there's a lot of reality pathos and all this stuff and feelings and people that like this really, really like this. So... I want to have a venue where that can be an animated venture. What does that mean? That means maybe on HBO when they have like a Good Night Moon, they have 90 minutes of stuff. Sure. And that's one of the chapters. Um, maybe animation for SNL or some other place. I've got to find that. So I'm reaching out to Kansas City and beyond. Contact me if we can talk about this because I've got up here exactly how it should look. Yeah. And I won't be drawing it. I want somebody else to, I, I want but you could do the refer reference art. I could do the model sheets. Yeah. And I've always uh, considered Julia Jackson, who was one of my students at the Art Institute here in Kansas City, to be one of the, 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 the more solid illustrators with an anime uh, uh, inspiration. This is anime inspired. This is by no means an anime piece. But yeah. uh, um, I'd want to work with her in a perfect world and then take this into animation. Let's go back to what you asked about when it comes to doing comics. So I talked to my best friend in the whole world, Paul Copperberg. And I said, you know, I'm going to do something with this. I've got to have something. I don't want to do a comic book because that's all it's going to be. And he said, yeah, but it's a storyboard. I thought, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it makes it easier to shop in L.A. Is, if somebody's going to do something. Yeah, you're right. He says, and you're a founding member of Charlton Comics, the new Charlton Comics. And I thought, yeah, that's right. And he says, so let's talk. So I'm thinking maybe to get back into comics, I would take this piece. Mm -hmm. I would take uh, um, uh, The Ballad of Buffalo Nichols, which is a very funny uh, a cowboy story in here. Sure. And it's got banjos in the background. And I sang like <laughs> this song. It's about the funniest damn thing I just ever did. That I did one called uh, um, The Tale of Great Bituminous. And Bituminous is one of the two sons of Old King Cole. Oh, yeah. Plays on right. words, lots of fun. But right. the, but these things would translate so well into animated p pieces. But the... Um, it's the, almost like... Um, uh, uh, it's almost like I had a plan. Like Fractured Fairy Tales? <laughs> yes. Or yeah. like the things the, the things that Shelley Duvall did um, Absolutely. back when everybody had VCRs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I, I want to see this go to that goal, that come mm -hmm. to fruition with that. Primarily because these things would be great entertainment, right? Lots of fun, but there are tales, and there's 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 without wanting to be a moralist, um, there's a lot of morals in these little stories here, directly. Which is which is something you don't actually 
get to see a whole lot of anymore. Well, I mentioned this to you before we started today with all the Trump stuff and with all the Hillary stuff and whatever. I respect everybody's opinion. I really do because I'm, I'm really tired of the storm of people yeah. who are so more than mildly insulting. You know, support your person, go vote, but don't don't take it down to the, the bottom degrees here with yeah. all the insults and stuff. But one comes to mind, and on the audio, by the way, it's in this book, which I brought for you. Okay. In the audio version, uh, Tamara Smith reads it, and if I can quote it from memory, bear with me. It's called Different Thoughts. And it starts off, if I remember the whole thing, from memory. Different thoughts between some friends means sometimes that a friendship ends. I hope that's not the case. I can't replace your space. You're more to me than just opinion, and neither of us need have dominion. And it goes on to say, you know, what good would it ever do if I would lose the friend in you? So let's uh, let's don't argue and let's don't fuss because we may both rub off on us. And I'm not trying to be a Mr. Sunday School moral guy, but I really believe that, and it came out yep. so well in the book. And when Tam read it, oh, my God, it's a lesson that uh, – it comes over in a very entertaining way. Well, and that's – it's funny you talk about politics. It's something that uh, Tim Harvey and I talk about sometimes because uh, we are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. But at the same time, when we have those political discussions, it's very amiable. It's it's a, it's a back and forth, give and take, and we do – you know, we, we respect each other's opinion even right. though we don't agree. And you know, it's it's something. There's a there's kind of like this unwritten rule. Whenever we're doing an H2O, we're doing anything else. All the politics kind of gets set to the side mm-hmm. because you know we're friends first, mm-hmm. and and that's something that that overrides the 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 stuff that's out here that you find because we've talked about the internet making everybody stupid and rude, and right. <laughs> and it does. It yeah. really you know the filter is gone. Which for creative types, for creative types like us, it's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, you get into web comics, you self-publishing and all this stuff. Because I was talking to uh, Nick Lowe at Marvel one year when he was editing the X-Men books and he was at Planet – this is before they moved out to Bartle. So this is probably a good four or five years ago when he was here. And I was asking him, how do people – bring you know, that that standard age-old question, how do you break into comics? And he said, for artists, it's easy because you bring your portfolio, they flip through the book, they see if you've got anything or not. Exactly right. For writers, it's more difficult because there's not anything that you can just bring to show. He says, everybody is, is publishing online now. You know, If you want to break into comics, you want to get started, start your own online comic, Absolutely. get an audience, get a following, and then you've got something to show where you've, it's got a track record. And I thought, Absolutely. How times have changed. Yeah. You know, I, t- I saw Marv Wolfman two weeks ago at the uh, uh, Smallville Comic Con, which is Hutchinson. Yeah. Which is a great show. Oh, I mean, it is I a great show. I love the people and it's so much fun and stuff. And I went to Marv because a few years ago I was talking to Marv on the phone. And I, uh, we were talking about Blade and mm-hmm. how Blade did so much. And I, I was mentioning this, did so much uh, to help Marvel come out of bankruptcy. And we're talking back and forth, and, and he says, so, Rick, where's your movie? And I thought, and he's being nice. You know, he's sure. Great. So I went to him, and I, and I showed him this uh, CD, which, again, I'm holding up right now for your viewers at home. Yep. And uh, uh, I said the same thing as I've said to you, and I said, I'm looking for a roadmap, Marvis. What's the next step to try? He says, I, I don't know. There is no next step, yep. or I'd be next-stepping my own stuff. This changes so uh, frequently. We used to say every six months. It's changing too fast now. Yeah. So the dynamic of me as a kid from you know uh, Overland Park, Shawnee, growing up and going to Chicago cons to show my work 
28 years mm. in a row with other kids like Frank Miller. I mean, we're sitting talking, you know, as he's waiting to show Shooter his stuff, and I am too. Um, Steve Lytle's first con to my, to my uh, recollection, et cetera, et cetera. Those days are gone. Yeah. So the way that this is all navigated now is uh, so new to me. It's you, you gotta you gotta find out every day what the parameters are and then try all over again. Well, and it's funny. It, you know, podcasting is the same way. We we've got several of, of these that we do, and you listen to the ones that break out, like Serial or Welcome to Night Vale or you know those kind of things, and there's no formula, and the people that are making those shows that are really super successful, they sit there and you ask them, how'd you do it? And they go, we have no idea. Yeah. Nobody knows yeah. What, the, what the formula is. Anyway. There is no formula. Nobody no. knows how to, how to make it. When you make it, you don't know what you did. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So it's not duplicatable. It's no, you know, it, it really is right time, right place. Can I share a quick story with you? Yeah, sure. Okay, I had bounced back and forth for years doing lot, all kinds of fanzines and stuff. And I had a, a nice modest following in the Midwest here doing conventions all the time. Uh, um, it, really bigger than the Midwest. I would go from Nebraska down to San Diego, out to San Diego, then back down to Texas, et cetera, et cetera. So I interviewed with uh, DC, Joe Orlando, on a talent search okay. in yep. Chicago. Another name. He, yep. loved, he loved my work. And I took him to breakfast because I thought that's kind of professional. You sure. know? And I don't think I wore a superhero T-shirt like I have on right now. <laughs> This is great. This is great. How old are you? And I said, I'm 26. And he said, oh. And he slides all the, the Bristol board back at me. And I said, what, what are your thoughts? And he said, you peaked out. You'll never get better. True story. True really? Story. Yep. I showed him a Superboy eight-pager, and I showed him a Justice League eight-pager to show him all that. And I wrote it, and I drew it, and I wanted to be there for the artwork. And it really was really good work. Hmm. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm just quiet. And he said, He's finishing his fruit, you know, because he knows I'm going to pay the bill. Sure. He says, uh, uh, um, you're handling this very well. And I said, well, it's really uh, uh, disappointing for me, but I am a professional. He said, well, you are handling it very well. Thank you very much for breakfast. And he got up and left. Shooter's there with a very young Frank Miller. I don't know what Frank was doing, if he was doing Daredevil then or what have I, I don't remember. Right. And I rounded the corner out of this little cafe at the, uh, Ramada O'Hare or something. Okay. And sitting on the steps in the hallway there was Frank Miller with, with Shooter, and, and uh, I talked to Frank on the way in. He said, how'd it go? And I said, I'm too old. And he said, oh, no, man, that's so wrong. And Shooter, because it was D.C., said, no, that's wrong. No, let's see your stuff. I love your stuff. I'll send you something. Yay, I'm going to make it at Marvel. So he sends me an Avengers script. So he wanted eight pages of that, and I went home and did it. It had the vision in it. Oh, yeah? And, and it was, you know, my best work. I sent it back to him and waited, waited, waited. And I got a letter from him. Because he wasn't returning phone calls, that's okay, you know. And the and this said, is back in the day before email. Oh yeah, or or yes. any of that stuff. There's well, no internet back then. Yeah, long yeah. distance calls actually cost money. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And the letter said, "Dear Rick, um, you're not in the ballpark. You're not. You're not even close. Let's forget all about this. I swear, we've got this letter in a drawer at home someplace. Oh wow, Jim Shooter. So I'm, you know, heartbroken." So sad. I threw all the artwork away. Hmm. Okay. Um, but I did have a set of Xeroxes. That next weekend, I went to Wichita to a Comic Con where the guests were Dick Giordano, who I'd seen every year because he's like a, an uncle to everybody. Yeah. Gil Kane, Corbin, Chance Trenant, et cetera. So hmm. 
I met this show in Wichita, and I'm drawing a, a something, and Dick comes up from behind. He's going to sit here uh, at a guest table with me. Got a cup of coffee. He goes, what you got? I said, this is my Avengers stuff. And I told him the story. He said, well, let's see it. And it was b based around the vision. And while he's looking at the different Xerox pages, I grab a little felt tip marker, much like this one. Yeah. And I draw little pointy ears on the vision. And I scallop the scape. I'm scalloping right now with my finger for our viewers. <laughs> and it's Batman. Yeah. And he goes, wow, that's really good. What do you want to do for us? And, and you were back to DC. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm actually going to get something. I got a Batgirl script that was an inventory piece, and I took, did Warlord, and I did something else, and I can't remember all the stuff. But they kept me busy with things on and off for, for years. Any one main title I was on for a long time, I don't, I don't know. No, I did Captain Marvel, Shazam. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, right time, right place, and there really is no roadmap. It just happens. Yeah. So. And the the thing that's happening now is the two the two CD audio set. The it's thing called, that's happening now is the two CD set. It's called Talking to Myself to You. Right. And it's available on rickstacy.com. It's right. S-T-A-S-I. Right, exactly. And we will link to that. And Yay. where else where else can they find it besides your website? Right now, and right here. i got, got to tell you, this is pretty new. And I had uh, some conversations with Corporate Hallmark, and, and we'll see. But in the meantime... Come get it from me. Get a hold of me. If you're in town, we'll work that out. And if not, we'll mail these because I've been mailing them too. Okay. And I, you're making appearances at conventions. Yes. And uh, you show up at the comic book shops on a free comic book day. Yes. So I'm mean, usually at Clint's Comics with my old friend Jim Cavanaugh. I do that too. And, and I will say, if I may, can mm, I just plug sure, this a little bit? Sure, Th There are different readings on here. Some are very funny. Some... Some are augmented really well with little voice things that we do and sound effects and uh, right. a whole lot of fun. Some of these are very, very thoughtful because I do comical things. Can I do one, just one for you right now? Yeah. Okay. I used to get up early in the morning and watch TV when my kids were in school because the earlier I would get up, the quieter it would be before they get up and go, don't staple my lunch sack, I'll kill you. And True story. But I would watch TV and I'd watch the news and stuff and I flipped over on QVC and I saw a very, a very lovely young model named Corinne. And the next morning I said, wow, she's on again. She's really pretty. In the third or fourth day, and then one day, years later, I'm sitting. I'm supposed to take notes in a, a corporate meeting for some marketing thing, and I, I just start writing on paper. Corinne, Corinne on QVC. It's 4 a.m. on my TV. I see you. Do you see me? J5-7-803. Your auburn hair, your ruby lips, your big old child-bearing hips. The luggage velcros and unzips. Call right now for shipping tips. Oh, how I wish we'd sail away to old Cape Cod or Montego Bay and I could prove that I'm not low libido. To win, to win, Corinne, for we'd see London, we'd see France, we'd see someone's uncles and aunts. You thought I was going to say underpants. Just where has your mind been? So comes the dawn, I hear my wife. She lives to give me naught but strife. I wish I had a butcher's knife. I'd do her in, Corinne. So till tomorrow when day is new, I'll turn you on. Turn me on, too. And we will start this all anew. Corinne on QVC. So, and as you see, I've memorized it. It's sure. stuck in my brain. Not that I wanted it to. But there's stuff like that. And it takes a slightly dark turn or two. Some of it does. Oh, there, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, seems to me, the seamstress said... Oh, that As was a good she one. sewed back on her husband's head, Victorian courtier looks good in red. Then she slid the scissors beneath the bed. But the, the funny ones are on there. There's a story about uh, um, a young woman with autism in a relationship. 
and it's got a really, really strong message at the end of it. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and say this. There's one on there here about dancing on air, dancing on air. If you don't have a partner, use a wooden chair. So said Ellis Presley and Fred Astaire. Right. There's nothing I know like dancing on air. Then the music comes into the background, et cetera, et cetera. Dancing on air is, is imagery for a guy who at the very end of this says, uh, um, you know, I'll dangle the rope and say the Lord's Prayer. Mm. There's nothing there's, that I know of like dancing on air. And it's a suicide note. Yeah. And it was influenced a bit to me by Robin Williams. I mean, mm. stuff that comes through like that. So uh, um, funny songs, uh, Linda Carter, hooray. There's a song I wrote for her, and Julia Jackson sings with me on that, and she does a marvelous job. Did play, you see that she got cast? She's, she's playing the the president in uh, Supergirl, yes, second yeah, season? Yeah, i got to see that, see yeah. what's going to go on. And that's, that's, that's kind fun. of a really neat kind of thing. That's so. going to be fun. All but right, all CD, kinds of fun stuff on this CD. Get a hold of me. It is called Talking to Myself to You. It's yes. available We are yes. going to uh, link to it. Rick Stacy, thanks very much for Thank coming you for in having me. and joining us. Thanks for uh, the tea. It's great. If any of you have uh, comments or questions or, or uh, ideas for people that we could talk to here on The Bunker, you can send us an email live from the bunker at southfm.com. Uh, you can check us out on all of the social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, YouTube, Tumblr, and Twitch, for those of you who are video gamers. And uh, as always, you can find the latest news over at scififorme.com. Thanks very much for listening. We will be back with another conversation in the bunker very soon. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 